Welcome to Employee to Lawyer, the employment law podcast presented by NELA Illinois, the podcast that discusses the policies, regulations, and laws that affect our workplaces, presented primarily from the perspective of employee or plaintiff side lawyers. We are your hosts, Ahmed Bindra and Max Barrett. We are members of the board of directors of NELA Illinois, the Illinois chapter of the National Employment Lawyers Association, a nonprofit collection of attorneys who empower workplace rights. And welcome back to Employee to Lawyer, the employment law podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Ahmed Bindra. I'm Max Barrick. I thought I would mess with Ahmed. You changed, you changed it up on me. Well, the amount of times you, you messed with me on the guest bio, I <laughs> thought it was warranted. I had to do something. I respect it. Thank you. Game respects game. <laughs> and today we are, after all that, we are lucky enough to be speaking to a good friend of mine. This is Lorena Blonsky speaking with us today. She is the president of LMB Associates, which is a certified women-owned business enterprise. Lorena, welcome. Thank you. Before we get into it, can you tell us what is LMB Associates and what do you do for folks? LMB Associates is an executive professional recruiting firm. What do I do for my clients? My clients are companies that are looking to hire people in a variety of areas, functional areas, different industries, and so forth. And I help them find the right people for the right seats in their organizations. So that's interesting. A a long time ago, I actually don't remember when exactly, although I suppose we could find out. Another mutual friend of ours, Carolyn Aberman, appeared on the show and used some similar terminology, candidates, clients, and did some recruiting work as well. Is it fair to say y'all do roughly the same sort of work or are there some differences? There are some differences. So Carolyn is actually with Corn Ferry and that is where I started my recruiting career. I also worked for Corn Ferry. It was many years ago. And I recruited in all functions and industries at only an executive level because Corn Ferry is a retained executive search firm, or at least it was when I worked there, and I believe it is still the same. So companies retain Corn Ferry to find only senior level executives. When I chose to start my own business many years ago, I chose to switch the model to contingency, which means a company only pays for my services if I place someone in a role at the company. So it's a different model. I also focused instead of solely at the senior level, I focused on a specific functional area technology. And there were a number of reasons for that. I, we had started a family and I wanted to start the business and work from home and not travel anymore. I was traveling all over the country, interviewing candidates. I didn't want to do that anymore. And I wanted to localize everything to Chicago. There was a lot of demand for technology people in the Chicago area, which is why I chose technology. Well, that actually leads me to one of my favorite questions or topics, which is kind of your origin story. And you answered some of that a little bit already, but how did you end up in this line of work in the, I'm just going to use a general term, the recruitment business? I had a passion for business always. And I think that came from my father. I knew that I was going to go into business. I wanted a good, solid liberal arts education. And then I wanted to get an MBA. I have a, though I have a liberal arts education, I had have a major in economics, and then I got an MBA in finance and marketing. And I went into banking for a very short time. And I decided that that is something that I just didn't want to do. No offense to any bankers out there. I just didn't want to be a banker. And I said, you know what, I need, 
I need, I want to work and I want to work for a long time and I want to have fun doing it. And so I did some soul searching and found Corn Ferry and found recruiting and I absolutely loved it. So I went there, it was a perfect match. It was business oriented, but people oriented first and I loved it and I never looked back. So when you first opened up your own business, your own shop, what industries were you focusing on and how has that evolved over time? I focused almost exclusively on technology the functional area of technology, which means I could have been recruiting for a technology company, for example, a software firm that needs developers to develop software for its own sales. I also did technology recruiting for, let's say a corporation, large corporation. I've done uh, recruiting for fortune 10 companies in the technology space and that technology supports their business. And then at some point in there, I have also worked with companies that hire their first technology person in-house and wanted to bring somebody in full-time. So I did a wide variety all in the technology space. The reason I chose technology is because of the demand for people. The demand for people was very high. I had a background in doing executive search, but I did not have a background specifically in any functional area or industry. And I chose technology because of the demand, because I could localize everything to Chicago. And because frankly, I had two colleagues that I could work with right away and they had clients right away. And while I had a baby at home, I could work on their searches. That's how I started. How it evolved over time is that I've been doing this over 30 years and clients kept coming to me and saying, can you do more work in this area or that area? And I eventually took some of that work on. And part of the reason I did it is because I know how to do search and that doesn't change. So if you know how to do search, it doesn't really matter what the industry is. I have a specific expertise in technology because I've been doing it for so long, but I have placed many people in finance, marketing, operations. The only thing I really don't like to do is sales. And there are a number of reasons, but I don't want to go there. Nothing wrong with salespeople. There are a lot of reasons I just choose not to do it. There are people that specialize in sales. I feel we're all salespeople at some level. (laughs) That's part of the reason I probably don't like it. (laughs) Yeah. So you said you're great at doing searches. What What are some of the best factors in identifying a great candidate? I think you have to start with the conversation with the employer. One of my great mentors always says we have two ears and one mouth and you always need to listen and listening to what they need and asking a lot of good questions is the most important thing. And a lot of clients will say to me, you're at, oh, that's a good question. I haven't really thought about the answer. Let me get back to you on that one. Because I need to know as much as possible about the organization, about why somebody would want to go there, about what the culture is, about who is going to be a good fit and just what they're really looking for, not what the generic job description often says, because job descriptions get passed down or you grab one off off the internet, you try to add more to it to just put it, you throw everything in there. But then I need to know what the number one, two, three, four, five priorities are. So the first part of that is to listen to the client. The second part of that is to listen to the candidate. 
and to make sure that the candidate is telling me what they really want, not just talking to the job description. What do they want? What are their strengths? And does it mesh with what my clients are looking for? And what really makes me the best recruiter and what differentiates me, and I don't think this should be the differentiator, but it really is because clients and candidates tell me this, is that I don't care if you're the president of the company or you sweep the floor. You deserve the same amount of respect. You deserve feedback. You deserve the truth and you need, you deserve to be treated with respect. And that is people's number one complaint about recruiters on both, on all sides. So I have differentiated myself that way. I happen to be good at what I do, but to me, I can't believe that that's what I hear over and over and over again. Nobody ever got back to me. Um, so that is the differentiator on the candidate side. Candidates, I start with kind of a clean slate about what they really want. Very often a can and earn trust. So a candidate will say to me things like, well, I wouldn't say this in an interview, but, and then they give me information that they might not have said to my client, but now I have that information to decide whether that makes it a good fit or not such a good fit with my client. Have you noticed over the last 30 years that what the clients want or candidates want, employers want has changed in that 30 year stretch or is it fundamentally the same? Is it they're all looking for respect and it flows from there or is it really a lot different today than it was, I guess, in 1992. <laughs> Actually, I don't think it's changed that much. People think it's changed, but I'm not sure it really has. I think people deserve, want respect. They want to be valued for what they do. They want to have good working relationships in an environment that's comfortable because you're spending a lot of time there every day, whether it's there in person or hybrid or remote or whatever your situation is. And you want to feel that you can make a difference and you want opportunity to grow. And I think if employers provide that to candidates, they're more likely to keep them. I'm not sure any of us really expected this, but I definitely did not. The start of COVID, the job market actually has been like quite good. Do you have an idea as to why that is? I really don't. It is so interesting that the demand has continued to be what it is, particularly given what the stock market is saying, right? Except that I don't think one thing has anything to do with the other. I think the economy, I'm not an economist, but I think the economy is doing a lot better than we think it's doing because companies are hiring. Now, there are some very large companies that paid top dollar to get people that may be letting people go. They're the ones that get people easily because they pay above market. The ones that have been suffering and have not been able to get people are now more able to get people as people are, are leaving some of those other firms. But I still see the market as very strong. I get calls every day to do more work and I'm just trying to keep up with it. I think that matches what we've seen. I mean, it's all anecdotally, but I think that matches what we've seen in our field. I mean, our bar and most of our listenership, I think, are a bunch of very small law firms that if they're not solo practitioners, we're not talking about huge groups here. And whether our bar, just a lot of the other small to mid-sized firms, it, it, it sort of feels like crabs kind of climbing all over each other in a barrel somewhere, right? Like it's just, you're all fighting for the same folks. The market was so competitive that the salaries were just getting 
really, really high and people were able to make demands like I want to never literally come into the office or I want full hybrid. I want and I, and I don't blame them, by the way. I mean, you're talking to two plaintiff side, you know, worker side attorneys. We certainly get why people feel that way. But it, it's not it's certainly different than what Ahmet and I experienced as we came out of law school around 10 years ago when the economy was crawling out of its last real prolonged or real critical downturn. So I have a few things to say about that. I have a friend at a mid-sized law firm, small to mid-sized, and he just lost someone that was on his team because one of the larger firms recruited him away for a huge amount of money. I, he didn't tell me, well, he doesn't know, but I'm sure it was a huge amount of money. What I say to candidates is be very careful of that because if you're not worth that money and you get let go, and the economy changes, you will be much more unlikely to find another opportunity, or you will have to take a huge pay cut. People often do not like to hire people that need to take huge pay cuts. So while it's really nice to be attracted by money and everybody wants more, everybody always wants $10,000 more than they have. It doesn't matter how many zeros in your, <laughs> in your bank account, it matters if you have none or you have seven, it doesn't matter. People always want to make more. Be careful because there is a, a, a level of worth in the market and you don't want to price yourself out of the market. I think that's a nice transition. And I, I, I don't want to ruin what you said other than to say you're not the first person in coaching or recruiting who we've had on the show to say that. Amy Gardner uh, is in coaching more. And I remember she had a whole bit about like, she used to tell folks like ignore the muffin basket. If somebody sends you a bunch of bells and whistles, so to speak, to recruit you, don't think about all the stuff they're giving you. Think about, is this somewhere I can see myself? Is it a good fit? Obviously money matters. We all have to eat. But I think of the, of the sharp folks we've talked to in spaces like, or perhaps adjacent to yours, what you are saying seems to be pretty consistent advice. So that's a good, that is a nice segue though, into common mistakes that you might see from, from candidates, right? So what are some other common things you see some from folks? And this is of interest to our bar because we represent individuals who may be looking for work and it's to our clients benefit that they're able to show they're trying to find a new gig. And not just that, I mean, we want them to eat and be in a better spot. Of course. What are some things that folks should avoid doing? So let me back up first and explain that before anybody, any of my candidates go on an interview, whether it's Zoom, phone, or in person, I prep them. I make sure that they have the exact notes that I sent to the, to the company about them so they know everything that I have said. I give LinkedIn profiles of the people that they are going to be talking to that they should take a look at. I give them the website of the company so that they should look up the company. They should know what they do. And I suggest I have preparation materials for them to review and to think about and to be able to answer. And I suggest that they have questions prepared. So I give a lot of information to candidates before they go into an interview. Now, if someone chooses not to take that advice, they choose not to take that advice and they go in unprepared. That is the worst thing they can do. And I just heard from a client yesterday who said that the candidate 
didn't turn on her video for a Zoom meeting, didn't look up his LinkedIn profile or she would have known about some of his background, didn't look on the website. I mean, I told the candidate what the company does and gave background information. I give background information on the company more than the website because I've asked the questions and I write it down and then I share that with the candidate. So you should be doing, candidates should be doing research on the companies. They should not rely on the recruiter to give them all that information. But when the recruiter gives them the information, they need to read it. They need to look at it. They need to have some questions prepared and they need to be knowledgeable about and and enthusiastic about the job. They don't have to take the job. I do not encourage people to take jobs that they don't feel comfortable with for whatever reason. If the job's not right for you, do not take it. Yes, I make money if somebody takes a job, but long-term, that's not the right strategy. <laughs> long-term, the right strategy is to try to find the right people for the right jobs. And long-term, I will end up doing better as a result, and so will everybody else. So that seems to happen too often where the candidate is not prepared for the job they're applying for. And do you have a thought as to why that would be? Is it just short-sighted of they see a dollar figure and a potential bonus figure or is there something else? Because it doesn't make sense to someone like me of like, if I'm applying for a job, there's a specific reason I'm hoping to stay there for a long period of time. I don't know why you would waste your time going in for an interview that you're not prepared for but I can't answer why somebody would do that. So besides just it's not even doing the homework, what are other mistakes that you often see from folks when they're applying for on both sides, either from a company or from a candidate? Being late. Candidates should be early to the interview or tell me if they can't be there quite at the right time. I had somebody do a Zoom interview today and she said, I might not be able to get there right on the nose. And I don't want to be late. So I told the client, so he was ready for her, but he understood that they probably wouldn't start maybe for an extra five minutes because she's working. She has a job and she needed to make sure that she could get away and get there on time. So there are things that you can do to make sure that that's okay. Make sure you have a telephone number that you can call to say you're running late. If there's an accident on, on the road, you know, there's all different kinds of things like that. Same on the employer side, employee employers can make people wait a really long time and they get angry. They get antsy in the, in the waiting room. They need to go back to work, be respectful of each other. Also don't read the resume five seconds before the person comes in, make sure that you're prepared for what you're looking for and have good questions ready to go. You know what you're looking for. So it shouldn't be that hard. You're having a conversation. You're having a conversation with someone to find out whether or not you think that you can work with that person, whether they have most, if not all of the skills that are required to do the job. And can they learn them if they don't have them? Are they trainable? Because everybody doesn't know everything. And so I think there's a reasonableness on both sides that needs to be there. There was a question when I was in law school and I was starting to do a little bit of interviewing. My career counselor at the time taught me, and I don't know if it's right or wrong, I think it served me okay, but um, that the question, tell me about yourself, that some people consider to be like loaded is really your one shot, like to not make them look through them being the, I guess in your world, the client, but the potential employer, 
that's your chance. That's your first impression, most likely, other than how you walk into the room at the time, everything was in person, right? And and how you carry yourself, that's really your shot to make an impression. And that question and how you answer it is really very telling because if you say, well, what do you want to know? She said, that's about the worst thing you could say in response to that. You may disagree. I don't necessarily disagree, but I also don't think, tell me about yourself is a great question. It's like, that is so open-ended. Where do you start? You mean, where was I born? Where did I grow up? I mean, I think that you have, uh, we all have a way that we talk about ourselves. I, I was born here. I grew up here. I went to school here. I went into banking, decided I didn't like it and ended up going into recruiting, you know, whatever your story, we all have stories and you want to tell the story that is most favorable, that makes you look good. And also that greases the skid, so to speak, for the job that you're applying for again, if you have the qualifications for the job, which you should know that you have already, or you wouldn't have been brought in for the interview, you want to get to the information about what you know the employer is looking for as soon as possible. But you got to give some background information too. So I guess switching the other direction then, are there, if we talk about maybe some questions that are not great, are there questions candidates should not be asking maybe at one or other stage of the process or that you know, you, you suggest people steer aware away from things that they can find out without asking the questions probably shouldn't be asked. Like how big is the company? Things like that. That happened recently. I wouldn't focus on compensation, which clearly is the number one thing, you know, of course, but maybe it's not. And of course I'm so used to this industry and business and I know, and I've been in it a long time. But sometimes, you know, when you haven't done this in a while, you haven't gone on an interview for a while, you really don't know, which is why I try to prep candidates also about looking the professional, about having questions prepared. And the questions that are prepared are things about whether or not you'd fit into the organization, how would you work, what are the expectations of this person and what do you expect me, the person that's successful in this role to have accomplished in the first three to six months? I think that's a great question. And that's fair because if it's way too much and you get scared and say, I don't know if I can do all that, then you know that that job is probably not right for you. You are interviewing, you, the candidate are interviewing the client as much as the client is interviewing you. If you look at it that way, that we are on an equal playing field, we want to like each other. We want to respect each other and we want to see if we're right for each other for this particular situation. You will come across a lot more self-confident by asking the questions you need to know in order to find out if this is a good fit for you, but you can't focus solely on what you're going to get. You also have to focus on what they need. So it's a combination of those things. I had an interview once where there were seven people in the interview and at the, yeah, Exactly. I wish the audience could see the facial reaction you just had. And at the end of that interview, I just asked, what would you change about this job? And to a T, every person said, there's too much work and not enough pay. And I was like, well, you all seem very miserable. Why would I want to do this job? And it was a very enlightening moment for me, even though I was very excited about the opportunity. Do you have questions you recommend to candidates to ask companies in that situation of how to figure out if they're going to be the right fit for that role? Well, I love what you did. 
But that that was gutsy. I, I think yes. What are the expectations of this person, and what do you if you if this person was successful in this role? What will they have accomplished in three months? What would they have accomplished in six months? Where do you see the next responsibilities coming from after this role? Who, who would I be working with? What are the challenges that I might face with the pe- with the people on the team? Is there a team? You know, there's, there's all, it depends on what the job is. So it's hard, but it's hard to answer that question, but there are a lot of different ways you can go with that. But I think the most important one is what are your expectations of me in this role? And, and then internally, I need to think, do I feel that I can fulfill those expectations? Cause I certainly don't want to accept a job that I'm not going to be good at, or that is going to disappoint you. And I'm going to end up getting fired anyway, who would want that? So yeah, I, I think it's a combination of those things. So it's an honesty and it's a, well, I have, you know, I'm very strong with this. I'm not as strong with that. You know, it's an honesty about your background, honesty about I'm really good at this more credibility too. You have credibility when you say you're excellent at this, not as strong at this, but you're working on it. It's gotten a lot better. My dog and my kid have made so many appearances on the show and occasional phone ringing is really a non-issue here, I promise. Lorena, I want to jump to something a little bit different and that may not have been in what we had originally considered, but it's something I'm always curious about. Okay. Let's say you have somebody, there are a couple of situations I think a lot of folks in our world encounter a lot. And that is clients who are struggling to figure out how do I reconcile that I've lost my last job? Not because I left, but because someone has fired me. Maybe there is litigation or some legal claim that's an issue. Maybe it is, you know, I'm over the age of 40 and it's just hard to find work when people think you're too old, and I'm speaking glibly because 40 is not far away for either Ahmed or I, and it's not old. It's just that's where the law draws the line. So how do you, how do you, I know those are two very divergent situations. I'm going to pick one. How do you, how do you grapple with that with clients? I'm going to do that. I'm going to do the second one first. Uh, usually it's over 50, by the way. Sometimes I have candidates that are over 60 and I've had candidates over 70 that I've actually gotten interviews for. So I say to candidates, you're lawyers, so you're not going to like this answer, but this is what I say. If they don't want to hire somebody who's over 50 years old or 60, or you pick the number, whatever it is, they will find another reason that you're not the right candidate. Somebody else is a better fit. Is that fair? No. But can you prove it? No, you can't. So why are you wasting your time? Usually fortune 500 companies, fortune 100 companies are looking for younger people. They just are, and they have a lot to choose from. They're looking for exactly what they want, which is X number of years of experience, five to 10, 10 to 15, 10 to 20, whatever it is. If you have more or less than that, then you're probably not their ideal candidate. So you're going to put a lot of time in and you probably are not going to get that job. I'm not saying don't try for things. I'm not saying it's not possible. What I'm saying is be realistic. Smaller firms, mid-sized firms that may not pay quite as top a dollar 
but really need help because they, every employee is even more important because they have fewer of them need people like you who, and they may not have been able to attract you earlier in your career. They didn't have a training program. They didn't have enough people to mentor you or to learn from, but now you're more seasoned. You offer a lot to those companies, make those connections. So there is a place. It just may not be the place you're thinking is the place for you. That's my answer to the age situation. Whether or not that's a good one, I don't know, but that is my counsel to people. And they usually say it makes a lot of sense. I love the bluntness. Also, Max is muted, which happens about twice an episode. Oh, okay. you, you did it earlier. <laughs> Nobody gets to see that, but Ahmed tried it earlier. We both have to put a dollar in the swear jar this time. <laughs> the other one is a little more difficult, but sure. I usually say if you got fired, tell the truth. They're going to find out. And you need to have a, you need to have a story, not a, not a made up story. You need to have an explanation for what happened from your point of view. Maybe you don't tell a hundred percent. Nobody ever tells a hundred percent. I'm not saying lie. That is not what I'm saying. Do not cut that part out. <laughs> Do not lie. No, you heard lie. it right here. Lorena is saying lie, lie often, lie early. No, I'm kidding. Obviously. <laughs> don't lie. Tell it's the not being truth cut. <laughs> in a way that makes you look as good as possible. People spin that's why I don't like to do sales recruiting because they're the master spinners. Don't spin, don't lie, but, but create the story. So it puts you in the best light. People don't get along with each other. Sometimes they get fired sometimes for all different kinds of reasons. The whole management team just changed and they want to bring in their own people. That's not your fault. There's all kinds of reasons why people get fired. Some good ones, some not so good ones. I think if you have a conviction, if you have a felony, that's on your record anyway, they're going to do a background check. I don't know how you get around that. And you guys are the lawyers on that one. So I I can't answer that question, but I can answer. There are a lot of reasons that people get fired. They're not always good reasons and they're not always fair to the employee. And you need to be able to tell that story. So the flip side of the firing aspect is... There is this concept now, the great resignation. A lot of folks are leaving jobs for new jobs. Is that still happening? And do you have a sense of why that was happening in the first place? Yes. I think that people are less tolerant of being in places that they feel are toxic environments. If they don't feel the things that I said were important at the very beginning, if they don't feel respected, if they don't feel appreciated, if they're being worked 70 hours a week, I have somebody who told me that they are today who is, she's working 50 hours a week. She gets paid by the hour, but they're only paying her for 40 hours. You should give her Max's number. Okay. I will do that. I think she <laughs> resigned. I think she resigned, but that's not, that's others, not legal. <laughs> it's, that's what I said. It's not legal. I said, I didn't think that was legal. And she said, well, somehow they're getting around it because they're a startup. I don't think that's the right answer, but I'm not a lawyer. So I didn't go there. I just said, I don't think it's legal. Yeah. She should definitely talk to Max. That would be my advice. Okay. Or on it. <laughs> okay. I will next time I'm going to talk to her again. So I will let her know that. Then there are people that work 70 hours, but they don't get any comp time. People have families. 
People have doctor's appointments. People have lives. People get sick. Somebody told me that they, they really love their job, but they don't like the policies of the organization because when people, he had recently started, he got COVID and he was told, I'm sorry, you don't have any sick day. You don't have any sick days accrued yet. You have to work anyway, please work from home since you're sick. So he had to work with COVID at home. He said, and there are other people that had to do similar kinds of things, which is really, I mean, if you're in bed suffering, really sick, how do you do that? What kind of productivity would a company, what kind of values does that tell an employee the company has for their well-being? What kind of interest in their well-being does that company have? Zero. I would be out too. Who would want to work for a company like that? So there are a lot of, there are, I hear stories, but I mean, I've just heard those two this week. So when folks are leaving for better opportunity, what advice do you have for them to not burn bridges? Especially because I do think this is a revolving door generally in most work industries, but also in a, like Chicago, the small community. So yeah, right. what, what advice do you have? And I think a lot of people do burn bridges. So the lawyer that I told you about said, oh, didn't the managing partner tell you I was leaving? To the guy he's been working with for the last five years. Are you kidding? Do you know how fast that's going to get around? You, you cannot do that. You work with somebody for five years and you're leaving. You leave on the best terms possible because you need references. People ask for references. What if the one you go to doesn't work out? They want to know who you, who you reported to last time and it, whether or not that person will serve as a reference. And you just slammed the door on your way out with no reference. And what poor insight and judgment that is. Do not leave like that. You say how, how much you've appreciated this person, whatever you can appreciate. Again, I wouldn't lie. I would try to find something positive to say about the experience, but that I just have a better opportunity and I just need to take it. Thank you so much for everything that you've done for my career. And I hope that we can stay in touch. And I would stay in touch because you never know what's going to happen later in your career. That person could be the CEO of something else. You really want to go there and you didn't burn the bridge and you'll be able to get in the door. It's also just a good way to get work. I mean, you leave one firm, go to another firm. If you have positive relationships, maybe that law firm's conflicted out on the case and they give it to you. And now you're developing your book of business. That's right. So none of that makes any sense to me. It doesn't make any sense, but you know, you have to be forward thinking and you, I mean, and you're learning about people by the way, by their actions more than their- That actually brings me to my next question, which is, so you've done this now for 30 years. Going back, let's say to 1992, if you could give yourself any advice about opening up your own shop and doing this work with the benefit of hindsight, what would that advice be? So the person that I started working with told me that I would make $70,000 in my first year. That did not happen. I did not make a dime for the first seven to eight months. When people look at recruiters, they think that we make a lot of money. A lot of us do, not compared to lawyers, by the way. 
but a lot is relative anyway, right? The point is these businesses that we're in are harder than they look. They're a lot harder. And you need to know how hard it's going to be when you get in. You might get lucky and you might make a a placement. And this is not all about the money that I get. This is about treating people right. And, And because it's my own business, I can do it exactly the way I like to do it, which is I will help anybody that calls me. You have a friend that's looking for a job, regardless of whether I can help that person. I will call whether you think or they think I might be able to help them. I will get on the phone with them and chances are I will be able to help them. I have done that so many times and I will continue to do it. Whether they're college graduates, whether they don't have a college degree. And the the best example of that is someone said, I have a friend who's a university president. Can you please talk to her? She's looking for another job. And I'm thinking, what the heck am I going to say to a university president? How am I going to help her? But of course I could help her because she's a university president. She's an expert at what she does. She's not an expert at what I do. And so I was able to help with a resume, I'm I'm working with HR now, and it's amazing how many human resources people have terrible resumes. (laughs) And this is the thing. We all have trouble writing our own resumes. We have mental blocks. I can write other people's resumes in my sleep, but when I have to write about myself, that is a whole other thing. And you don't want to leave anything out. So you have, I get these nine page resumes, not from HR, but I get four, five, six, then you ask hiring managers, how many, how many seconds do you take to look at a resume before you decide if it goes in the yes, the no, or the maybe pile on your desk? And it's seven on average. So I, I tell them, I'll give you 15 seconds. And you guys all know this. You've answered the question. If you're doing the hiring, why do you think someone's going to read a four page resume? So they all laugh and then they cut their resumes. So there are, there are a lot of things that I can suggest to people and why, and what's right for one is not right for another. And I just believe in helping people. It always comes back. You don't know how, and it doesn't matter. And I know that you both have that philosophy too. Well, on that very kind and positive note, Lorena, we'd like to wrap up this episode as we do that. Let's first, do you have anything you'd like to plug coming up? Are you given any talks? You have any initiatives, anything about yourself other than just your, your, your incredible competence and, and wonderful sunny attitude about how you do all of this. Thank you. I am not giving any talks. I, I, <laughs> you've got a great, I will plug Lorena's presence on LinkedIn. She gives a lot of great advice. She has a very sharp and, and informative presence on LinkedIn. So I will personally plug that for her. You don't have, have to plug anything I and we can cut lot. this by the way, if we need to. So I have a lot of recommendations, what I call testimony. I have a lot of testimonials on my website that I would strongly encourage anyone who's looking to hire or looking for a job to look at. There are written ones. There are video ones. I, anybody who would like to be on my listing, who is a candidate, not someone who is a recruiter, but someone who's a candidate that would like to receive the, or a, a hiring manager or just curious about what is out in the market and what I'm doing. I send out a listing once a month with all the searches that I am working on. And I usually have an article or a piece of advice or a podcast or some kind of help, 
self-help information for people. And those that no longer want to get that usually then ask me to connect on LinkedIn so they can be connected with me that way and see what's on my website. I try to keep the website as up to date as possible with the searches that I'm working on. They change every day. So uh, it's hard sometimes to do it every single day, which is part of the reason I make sure it's fresh and clean at the beginning of the month and send that out. And that's a great segue. What is your website, Lorena? And we'll put that in the show notes so people can find you. So if they do want to find you, what's the best way to do that? Whether as a client company that wants to work with you or as a candidate who would like to work with you, what's the best way to make that happen? The best way is to go to lmbassociates.com. You will find phone number, you will find an email address, you will find lots of information and pick up the phone and call me, send me an email, send me a note on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook, although not Facebook as much (laughs) these days, but LinkedIn is the best way probably to reach me if you prefer not to call initially, but calling, emailing, or LinkedIn would be the best way to reach me. Awesome. Well, we have one more segment for you. Max, do you want to do it? It's all yours, my friend. It's your thing. All right. We, I was trying to put it on Max. Okay, so we do what we call the shout out of the week. It is just a positive way to end our episodes. It can be a book, a TV show, a kid, just anything positive you want to give a shout out to. It's the one thing we spring on our guests because it's yeah. low, it's low, it's low risk, and it's all it's all in good fun. Yeah, and we've had all the above. Pets. We had the city of Chicago shout it out twice, I think. We've had pets, we've had siblings, family members, children, parents, spouses, books, literally anything in the whole wide world you would like to say something nice about. I have so many people, so much information, so much to to shout out. I guess I'm going to shout out an organization I belong to and lead, I'm one of the leaders of, it's called Trusted Advisors Council. And it is a group of trusted advisors in a variety of functional areas, approximately a third attorneys, a third finance, and a third other, I would be in the other category in terms of consulting in some way to businesses uh, and We vet candidates very carefully for our groups, and we have a network of trusted people that we feel very comfortable with and strongly about being very, very top of their game in the areas of their expertise. And so I would like to thank the people in those groups for the confidence that they have had in me put in me with their clients, referrals that they have made to me, and assistance they have given me over the years. Well, on that note, we want to thank Lorena for coming in, for giving us her time and expertise this afternoon. Thank you to everybody at home for listening. Please subscribe and share. Our podcast is intended to provide general overviews of employment law. The statements and opinions provided in this podcast are just that, the host opinions. We are not your attorney. This podcast does not create an attorney-client relationship, and it's not intended to provide specific legal advice. For legal questions, please consult with an attorney.